Okay, got it. Ready? <clears throat> You're listening to Paul Elmore. Paul Elmore. <laughs> Shh. Welcome to Affinitas. Affinitas means what? Relationships. And we are trying to figure out how to do relationships better. Does everyone know they're in the right place? Is that what you're expecting? Hopefully? Maybe? All right. Can I ask just a quick question? How many of you has it been a week? It's just been one of those weeks that you could do okay. It's been one of those weeks for me. I've heard that it's been a week like that for some other folks. Thank you. Um, It would be real important for me tonight, if we can, just to put ourselves into the right place, put ourselves and our minds into the right attitude so that my hope, my hope tonight is that when you walk out of here, you forget everything that I say and that you will only remember what I hope Christ wants to say to you tonight. It's an important night for some reason. I'm not sure why, but it feels that way to me. And so I want to honor that, and I want to get out of the way so that I'm not remembered. All right? So if you can, close your eyes real quick. Put your stuff down. Again, we're going to learn how to just become present in the room. The temperature is fairly nice. It's, It's full and comfortable. Pay attention to what you are noticing just in the weight of your week or the good week that you've had. It's up to you. But just become aware of it. And again, remember, when you walk in those doors, nothing can be fixed tonight. Nothing has to be changed in the next few minutes. And so you are free. Give yourself permission to just... Let that wait at the door. You can pick it back up when you leave. Listen to the fans going in the back. Listen to the noises of the people around you. Sense their presence. Just feel how close they are to you. Pay attention to what's happening in your body. What areas do you feel any tension? The emotions that you might be carrying at the moment, where do they tend to live physically in your body? And then take a couple deep breaths and picture that breath just going right into that area where you're carrying all that weight, all that tension, all that anxiety, and let it kind of just move through. And as you take a deep, couple more deep breaths, let your body just become as heavy as possible. Just sit and feel the weight and then finally take your hands put them on your knees with palms up and again see if you can move into an attitude or an atmosphere of openness and receptivity whatever defensiveness whatever battles whatever arguments no one's trying to trick you no one's trying to condemn you No one's trying to point out how bad or how good you are. Simply want you to be receptive to what your creator might want to say to you tonight. 
whatever that is. Stay in that posture, and all I want you to do is simply open your eyes. Let your body still stay relaxed. Feel and be aware of everyone around you. Be thankful for a nice, warm evening. Time to do some fun stuff. All right. Last week we talked about what would you talk about? What relationships? What was it? Friends. Self was the week before. That's okay. And then the week before that was? Family. Because we're working again kind of how we grew up developmentally. We create our, we have the first primary relationships with our parents, with the um, care providers in our lives. We don't even have an awareness of ourselves, but pretty soon we do have an awareness of ourselves. 18 months, two years, we start to figure out, you know, using that favorite little word, no, okay, no, I'm not going to do that, no. And then we move into relationship with friends or siblings or other people like that, and then we move into tonight, what we're going to talk about is romantic relationships and kind of how that works. Now, I, 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 I could not, I could not have this conversation with you if it was early in my relationship with my wife. We, um, we have a card for my wife. That's the card sitting on a shelf in, in our bedroom. It's my favorite card I've given her. The reason is, is because when we were dating, we, I grew up in San Diego. We dated in Southern California where they have nice beaches and good weather all the time. And um, we took her out on a date, and we went to a place called La Jolla. Anyone been to La Jolla? Oh, yeah. Okay, La Jolla Shores. Beautiful sand, gorgeous little nice place of the world there. And we had been dating I don't know how long, but I do know that the I love you barrier hadn't been broken yet. Okay? I hadn't said it to her. She hadn't said it to me. But all of those rumblings were going around inside of me, I'm thinking they were going on inside of her. I'm not positive, but I'm pretty certain they were. And so in the very immature kind of um, awkwardness that I had with my then girlfriend, um, walked along the beach, found a stick, and I started to write the words, I, big heart, okay? And then I got stuck because... Am I, is that how I'm going to break the I love you barrier or not? So I totally bailed out, chickened out, and wrote the word pizza. <laughs> no joke. So when we found this card, it's very appropriate because I was going to write the word pizza right here on the card for her. But, and... Oh, gosh. You can see her. She's like, okay, here it comes, here it comes. And as soon as I write pizza, she's like, oh, really? She looks at me, and oh, it, was, it was bad. It was, it was bad. Fast forward a couple years, all right, a lot of years, and again, um, my daughter is now, she's given me permission to tell this story since she's in the room. Um, she comes home, and she's about 13, 14 years old, somewhere in there. And she comes home, and she is very, very excited. It's a Friday afternoon after school. And she is 
Well, you know when my daughter is excited when she talks and she just keeps talking, okay? And she just kind of processes and it just keeps going on and on and on and on and on. And through all of the words that she was saying, we come to find out that um, one of the boys in her school um, had asked her out. Okay, this is, um, I think, eighth grade, maybe freshman, I think eighth grade. We'll go junior high, okay? Um, here's how he asked her out. He, he gave her a note that said, would you be my girlfriend with a candy bar and a dollar bill stapled to it? <laughs> I love pizza, okay? We're just stupid. We're, we just can't figure out how to do it. And so my daughter is appropriately excited because one of the phrases that I remember her saying is, I didn't think it would ever happen, okay? I'm not a girl, but ladies, tell me if this is true, that you are, might be afraid that you'll never, ever, ever be wanted, asked out, and that's kind of a rite of passage, kind of in late elementary school, junior high. Is that a familiar story? See some people shaking, okay, good. So it's not just my daughter. That's kind of a normal thing. And so she is extremely excited all weekend about, it's finally happened. Someone asked me out. Someone wants to be my boyfriend. I get to be a girl, girlfriend and all these other things. And we let her have her excitement because that's, a, that's an important time. Now, unbeknownst to my daughter, I actually do pay attention to her life, and I knew that she actually had a crush on another boy. And so about Sunday afternoon, we start having the conversation of, kiddo, let's kind of talk through this and, and, and let's think this through because here's, here's this boy. He's now asked you out, and that makes you feel good, but you also have kind of a crush on this other boy. If you had a decision, who would you kind of want to go out with? Who would you choose? And my daughter, in her, in her wonderful honesty, said, I'd actually probably rather this other guy rather than the guy who actually asked me out. So why would you want to date this guy over here? Well, because he asked me out. And I'm afraid it will never happen again. Okay? No one else will ever want to ask me out. This is the one. This is the one. Eighth grade. Okay? And so I had a wonderful opportunity to teach something that I'm not so sure is ever taught to many of us, because I never certainly learned it. I had a chance to teach my daughter how to break a young boy's heart. It was wonderful. How to say thank you. Actually, I want her to get really good at that, okay? Um, how to say thank you. I appreciate the gesture, but... I'm not, I'm not going to dishonor that request because my heart's not in it because I like you. I like the idea of being in a relationship. Does that make sense? So I taught her how to, how to say thank you but no thank you. Question is, what have you been taught about romantic relationships? Has anyone intentionally sat down and said, here's how dating works. Here's how feelings work. Here's how relationships are supposed to look like. Here's what you do with all those squishy feelings and your tummies rumbling around, kind of having all of those thoughts and feelings and all that other stuff. My idea is it is rarely taught. It is usually just kind of, we got to figure this out as we're going and we hope we don't screw up too bad and we hope that we can recover from whatever mistakes we might make. That is understandable, but also... Um, discouraging, 
disappointing, heartbreaking, whatever that word would be. Because it's so important. Here's a person that you want to share your heart with. Here's a person that you want to become vulnerable with and to be known and to know. And we just got to figure it out as we go along. Got to be a better way. I would hope there'd be a better way. Now, we can't rewind the clock. Many of you are past eighth grade. And so we don't get to kind of reset that. But we're going to see what we can do from here on out and help you decide and define what is a good, healthy, romantic relationship. Here's my question. How do we define what a healthy romantic relationship is unless we clarify a couple terms real quickly? So if we can do that, please. Healthy is going to be this definition right here. Something operating according to the manufacturer's design. Is that an agreeable idea of healthy? So you got a car again, the car's running right, everything's working well, it goes the speed it's supposed to, it doesn't blow up. That's when you know that the car is running in a healthy manner. So if we're going to use the words operating according to the manufacturer's design, would it be fair to say then that there would be a design from our manufacturer, from our creator, around romantic relationships and what that, and what that looks like? The question is, what is that? What does God actually design for us so we know if we're coming close to it or if we're missing the mark on some of that? Um, I've wrestled with this question, and I'm going to... I should probably sit down with Rick or Ben or some person who's much smarter theologically than I am around this, but I want to I suggest a theory or an idea theologically, okay? There's a passage in Matthew 22 that says, that same day the Sadducees, there are Pharisees and Sadducees in Scripture. The Sadducees do not believe in resurrection. That's why they are sad, you see. <laughs> no joke, that's how I remember it. That same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and third brother right on down to the seventh. Poor woman. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, the Sadducees aren't actually caring about the answer to this. They're trying to trap Christ, and it's a question about resurrection, but we're going to go a little different direction with this passage, okay? Now then, at the resurrection, which we don't believe in, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? They thought they had him. They thought they said, ha ha, see, this proves there is no resurrection. Jesus replied, well... You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Here's an interesting idea. Why in the world is there marriage? Why in the world is there romantic relationships here on earth, but there isn't any in heaven? It's a head scratcher. Isn't that interesting? Here's my theory. Okay. Um, and again, I'll be open to, to dialoguing about this if someone is, is able to shed different light on it. 
heaven, heaven is where we get to know everybody to the fullest and the deepest to the capacity that we can. I will have no secrets from any of you and you will have no secrets from me. I will be as open and transparent and vulnerable and known with you and with my creator. That is heaven, where there is nothing in the way of relationship. That's why relationship is so stinking important just as our creation, as our human beings, because relationship is the essence of heaven forever. Isn't that amazing? I think it's amazing. And so why in the world do we have just one man and one woman, according to Genesis, why do we, are we limited to just one of those relationships here on earth? My suggestion is because we are so flawed, because we are sinful, it is almost impossible to fully be known in that depth with more than just one person in your life. The amount of energy and effort and cost and fear and, 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 and effort that goes into that is exhausting. And we can only do, I, I can't imagine trying to fully and completely love another woman to the extent that I love my wife. It's hard enough with just my wife. She's a wonderful, wonderful woman, but I am a flawed, imperfect husband, and I can't quite love her into the depth and the, and the way that I would love to do it because I am sinful, because I am just flawed and broken. I'm going to suggest that operating according to the manufactured design, romantic relationships on this earth is so that you can have a little glimpse of heaven here on earth. Does that make sense? You can say, oh, this is good. This relationship is so connected and vulnerable and safe and wonderful and edifying so that when you show up in heaven, you go, oh, yeah, this is familiar. I've had a little taste of this in one place. But I think the reality is a lot of people are going to show up in heaven and go, I have never experienced this. This is so far from what I have even conceived I could have been part of here on earth. So I think the manufacturer's design for romantic relationships is so we can have a little glimpse of heaven. Um, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Adam and his wife were seen, vulnerable, open, and there was nothing between them in that perfect state. They didn't care. They were completely and totally known. And at that time, they walked with God. It was heaven on earth, literally. It was paradise. And then the fall happens, right? And again, here's, here's the words that Genesis says. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Because I was vulnerable. Because I was open. Sin creates shame. 
Sin in that very first moment caused us to hide. Caused us to say, I don't want these things of me to be seen. i got to keep something back to keep myself safe. And I think we've been doing that for a very long time. And we've gotten very, very, very good at it. And so when we move into romantic relationships again, we have to fight against that nature to stay shut down, to stay hidden, to stay isolated, put off from people. It goes against our sin nature to be transparent and seen and open. Is that making sense? Isn't that a tragedy? Paradise truly was lost. We could have had that with everybody. And again, the good news is, is we can be redeemed and experience that again. But for now, we are fighting against the tide. We want to hide. I want to hide. I can tell you that right now. I want to hide all the time. There's things that I just don't want to share with my wife, with my family, because I'm ashamed. Me and Adam, we got a good club going on. Man. Questions or thoughts about kind of the concept or the idea behind the healthy idea of, of relationship? Awesome. Can everyone hear me okay, by the way? I'm doing my best to speak loudly for those in the back. Nice. Thank you. All right. So then, okay, if this is healthy and we're trying to operate according to the manufacturer's design, then um, I think one of the biggest enemies, well, let me ask you, what, what are some good reasons not to be in romantic relationships? I'm curious what you guys might say. Where's my coffee? Oh, what was that? Getting hurt. Fantastic. That is um, point number two. We're going to come to that in just a minute, okay? Fear of rejection. Yep. Why else? Yep. Wanting it too badly. Okay, dependent upon it. Oh, good. Yep, I can see that. Yes. Again, you're very kind, and you don't want to mess up anybody else because you recognize how. I think you said hot mess. <laughs> right? Did I did I hear that right? Okay, that is all of us, especially tonight. Yes. Fear. fear of? Fear of maybe a relationship that you've been in before. Sure, absolutely. Kind of getting on that merry-go-round, going round and round again until it blows up in your face again. Sure. Yep. Yep, you're not done cooking in the oven yet. Okay, got to wait for the timer to go off. Sure. Yep. Oh yeah, that's a good one. I like that one. It could distract you from um, improving or um, bettering your relationship with the Lord. A distraction. Yep. Um, having a fear of. Well, having a fear that when you try to have a relationship. Not finding the right person. Yeah. yeah, because there's like only one right person, maybe. Yep. Because I'll always pick the serial killer in the room. 
<laughs> she said, because she's always going to pick the serial killer in the room. That's you. Raise your hand just yeah. so we can make this easier. It's kind of become more efficient at that. Yes? Being afraid of somebody accepting my past. Being afraid of someone accepting or not accepting. Exactly. Yeah. I think sometimes it's harder if someone actually unconditionally accepts you and all of the mess that you might bring to it, but then not accepting as well. Yes. Yeah. Settling, the grass is greener. Settling or the grass is greener. Man, oh man, oh man. Good, good stuff. This is one of those nights, again, that I'm going to be very frustrated because there's about 19 hours that we could have around this one topic, but we're not going to do justice to it. We're just going to skim right over the top and try to tag the big things, okay? Um, I'm going to suggest that, oh, heaven, see? Oh, we're past all that. Freedom, that's where we're at. I should probably pay attention to my notes more. Um, the fear that we are going to lose some sort of freedom. That's why we don't get into relationships, whether that's freedom to do or think whatever we want to do, whether that is freedom to be ourselves, whether that is freedom to change or not change, all of that, but when you now say, I'm going to connect up and, and become in relationship with someone, I think there's this underlying predominant fear that you're going to lose some freedom. Does that make sense? Would you guys agree or disagree? And here's why I think, here's why I think so, because when we talk about relationships, um, if someone gets married, it's like, what's the, what's the kind of the colloquialism that they use? Hey, there it is. And we even, you know, make fun of it. There's a cake with the ball and chain. There's the nice photos with the ball and chain. Okay. Yes, the whole idea of this, this idea of I am now stuck. And a ball and chain is actually a pretty horrific image because it is like, it's doing time. You're in the pokey, you're in jail, you're on a chain gang, you can't get away, you're restricted in your movement. It's this, it's this idea, and again, I'm not just talking just marriage, but romantic relationships in general can be this, this hindrance to who we are rather than um, the misconception that somehow if we are single that we have more, we are f more free or more better off more better off. I actually said that. Great grammar. Okay. She said the she asked the question. Do you think women feel that way, the same way that men do? You guys should see what it looks like from where I'm standing right now, and some of the head movements that I'm watching. Okay. What do you think? I'll pose that out. Do you think this is only a a man getting trapped by the woman? No. That's the stereotypical, again, colloquial, joking kind of thing, but I think the reality is even women feel potentially trapped, stuck, all those kinds of things. Hold on a second, Chris. Yep. I don't know, for me, I feel insecure about being a single mother, yep. not having the diamond ring, not yep. having the forerunner and the perfect husband at church and right. coming in, you know, that feels like I, I feel embarrassed yeah. to be like, um, like, like everybody can obviously see I'm a sinner. Yeah. Yeah. 
like I said, there's many facets to this that I would love we have if we had more time around some of this. And there is absolutely the idea that I have to have a relationship in order to have that security and to find myself, because you don't know who you are without that. Um, and I wish we could spend a little more time on that. We're going to just choose to focus right on this one today. Is that okay? Oh, yeah. Perfect. All right. So if we are in the freedom piece, I want to help you understand a little bit of, of what freedom actually is. And then we're going to get past all the theory stuff about relationship and jump right into some practical nuts and bolts of what healthy relationships actually can look like. Does that sound all right? Um, let's see. Here's a fantastic quote. By the way, has anyone heard of Tim Keller? Tim Keller, he has a really good book. I recommend it highly. Um, for those who need to um, understand their faith a little bit more, or if you have questions and you're debating, this is the book. It's called The Reason for God, Tim Keller. Here's some of the stuff that he talks about in this. This quote is really, really important. I'm going to get out of your way so you can read it. Okay? In many areas of life, what? I am going to read it. I will project. In many areas of life, freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as finding the right ones, the liberating restriction, restrictions, those that fit, fit with the reality of our nature and the world pro, and the, uh, <laughs> it's been a week. All right. Those that fit with the reality of our nature and the world produce great power and scope for our abilities and a deeper joy and fulfillment. He uses the example of a fish. If a fish said, I want to have freedom to do whatever I want to do, and I don't want to have to be restricted by anything at all in this world, I should have the freedom to not be stuck in this water. I should have the freedom to get up and go, you know, play in the park on the swing sets with everyone else, right? If the fish obtained that freedom, how well does that serve him? It's actually a detrimental freedom. So the idea of freedom is you need to find the liberating restrictions. There are those that fit with the reality of our nature. What is the nature of us? We are built for relationship. But that relationship has to be done in the correct context. Romantic relationships don't mean that, um, that I should have all sorts of freedom and be in a relationship. When you get into a relationship, you are choosing to give up some of those freedoms. Here's what the next one says. One of the principles, and I'll get out of the way again, one of the principles of love is that you have to lose independence to attain greater intimacy. If you want the freedom of love, and here's what he means by that. When you have the freedom of love, you have fulfillment, security, a sense of worth that it brings. You must limit your freedom in many, many ways. You cannot enter into a deep relationship and still make unilateral decisions or allow your lover no say in how, how you live your life. To experience the joy and freedom of love, you must give up your personal autonomy. Basically, he says there's a trade-off. If you choose to enter into romantic relationships, and he actually expands it out to friendships as well, and I think that he has a valid point, but we're talking about romantic stuff. If you are going to enter into romantic relationships, if you have the mindset, again, of understanding our nature, the nature is... I have to give up freedoms. I have to 
give up my personal autonomy. I cannot make unilateral decisions anymore. And that, in our world, is tough. Would you agree? We actually don't like that. What do you mean I got to give up some of my personal decisions? I got to give up some of my personal freedoms. You're kidding. I'm not going to do that. I'm just not going to give that up. I, because somehow we believe that the freedom to do whatever we want to do is better than fulfillment, security, and a sense of worth. But you can't have both. And so I want to I kind of debunk the myth right off that you can have romantic relationships and still do whatever the hell you want to do. You just can't do it. Can't do it, all right? Everyone with me? Anyone want to argue? Now's the time. Chris. I just want to thank you for saying this. Loudly. I just want to thank you for saying this, but at the same time, to show the other side is that I've seen in my home family, not necessarily with my mom, but with and my dad, but with other relatives, where on the other side, when they do go into a relationship, um, the guys have had a tendency no offense to any of the ladies. It's just that they, they, they've given up some, certain aspects of their lives that in the long run have been destructive with their wives in terms of materialism and other things, and it may be part of them as well. Okay. In the past, I've seen that they've accepted destructive aspects in their relationships, materialism or other things, that when I knew them before they, when I knew one of them before he was married, before he even had a relationship with Okay. Woman, he he didn't have those things. Okay. And as time has progressed, that's become destructive. And okay. I don't think that's universal, but that is a fear I have myself. Going into a relationship with someone and surrendering the good parts of myself in that relationship in order to please the other person. Afraid of surrendering the good parts of himself in order to please the other person. That's the last sentence he just had in that for those who couldn't hear in the back. Give me five minutes, we're going to come right back to that, okay? You're a little ahead of the curve. Anyone else got questions about this idea? Yep. Real loud, please. I would agree. I would agree. The, that freedom in, that comes in a relationship comes naturally when you're in a good relationship. That's the whole idea, by the way, of tonight. Be in good relationships. Not making any bones about that. That's the goal. Be in good relationships. Any other questions about this? Because this is foundational. This is, this is, this is a paradigm shift that I think a lot of people actually have a hard time. Actually, they can have a cognitive understanding of it, but, they're, but the practical application of it this is what bites you in the butt a lot. Yep. How do you separate codependency, the desires, wants, and needs that come with yeah. codependency from this idea of yeah. losing independence? Great, great question. Um, this is the healthy model of it. That's why we're looking at the healthy. The codependent side, we're going to tag here and again at the second half on the practical stuff because anything... And again, this is what sin does. Anything that God made that is good can be tainted and twisted. 
even selflessness can be tainted into codependency, manipulation, everything else like that. So codependency is basically taking this concept and, and it's, the, it's the dark side of the force, if you want to think of it that way, all right? It's, you know, it's the Darth Vader version. The other thing that we heard in here is um, what gets in the way of relationships the most is I don't want to get hurt anymore. Fair enough, because getting hurt stinks. Just stinks. Here's what C.S. Lewis says, and I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, where it is safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy or getting hurt, or at least the risk of getting hurt, is damnation. Fantastic, fantastic concept. Most people who have been desperately hurt sometimes adopt the idea of, I'm just never, ever doing that again. I got burned once. I got burned twice. I got burned three times. It's time for me to learn my lesson, and so I am never, ever opening myself up again to any sort of romantic relationship. And he says it works. Here's, that's, that's the nasty thing. It actually works. You can prevent your heart from getting broken, but you are exchanging the risk of hurt for a guaranteed hurt. Isn't that strange? It's like saying, I have a way of becoming rich. I have a way of making a fortune, but I am terrified that I'm going to lose that fortune. I just, because I don't want to be poor. So I am not going to do anything to get that fortune. What status do you stay in? You're, it's a guarantee of being poor. You actually take out any option, any possibility of finding Fulfillment, peace, love, all those kinds of things. Yep? What book or writing of C.S. Lewis is that from? That's a great question. Um, anyone got that answer? I can't remember. I didn't write that Four down. Loves. Four loves. Four loves. See? It's like a brain trust. It's just wisdom is oozing out of this. That's why it's so hot. Questions about that, the whole concept of hurt and guarding your heart so much that you actually guarantee it being hurt. Pretty straightforward. So then when it comes to relationships, and again, it's kind of the last part of the theory concept, I would like to ask you about what is your paradigm? What is the premise of the relationships or the romantic relationships that you are in. Is it a relationship that is solely so that you can get your needs met? Or is the romantic relationship the idea that I am here in this relationship for them? 
I am here to meet their needs. Because whatever your premise is, is going to affect how you enter into conflict, how you enter into um, boundaries, how you enter into everything in that relationship. If you say, this romantic relationship is to make me feel good, is to make me happy, what happens? If that other person disappoints you, you have a couple options. Retaliate, get back, bail out, move on, do whatever else you need to do there, right? Or if you have the idea, again, that romantic relationships is about, is about learning how to serve and learning how to create connection and becoming one, then your focus is on them and you handle every encounter, every exchange differently. Does that make sense? Questions or thoughts before we jump into some practical stuff here? What's in between? What's in between? Are those the only options? Yeah, I guess that's What about us? What do you think? What about us? <laughs> well, is there an us? This is the fun part. Aren't you, if you are healthy enough, isn't self-sacrifice no longer about uh, making the other person happy? Right. Say that again? Maybe I'm saying it wrong, but if you're in a healthy enough place, isn't the self-sacrifice that you give no longer about yourself, it's about the other person, and it's no longer about, do you understand what I'm saying? As opposed to Yep, I understand so what you're saying. It is then no us. It is, if you're making a decision for the other person, it is about yourself or them. It's a trick question, okay? And again, just for time, I will, I'll move this along. No. <laughs> Fair enough. I threw you under, under the bus, Tyler. Sorry. If you make it about us, if you make it about we then you are making a promise for someone else. Can you actually do that? Nope. Who can you only be responsible for? And so is there an option for we if it's just you? Does that make sense? You get two people, and they are focused on this. Guess what happens? Oh, man, it's a good, good day. You get two people, and they're focused on this. What happens? It's a disaster waiting to happen. You can only be responsible for yourself and the feelings that you have inside and your attitude and your premise and your approach and your values and your philosophy towards relationships. If your philosophy is this one, then I'm going to suggest that you're going to end up having a more difficult time in the romantic relationships in your world. Just that's reality. If you're focused on this, then it gets really, really good then it gets really, really good, okay? One last question, then we're going to keep going. I just, I'm thinking about Dan when he's on stage with Mike. Yep. And Dan was affected totally by Mike's status. Yep. So if you had two of Dan up there. Yep. And one of them has a bad day. Yep. Now they both have a bad day. Yep. And now they're both going downhill because they're both based on them. Is, Is it? Remember again, the, the I'm uncomfortable because you feel bad, so i got to change you to make me feel good? That's you. Okay. Yeah. It looks like it's all about them, but the reality is that it's not. 
And that's where codependency stuff can get really tricky. Codependency is truly, inherently, this. And it, and it takes the form of looking like this, but it is actually not. And again, we're going to debrief this and take some of this apart, ask lots of questions at the end, or in two weeks, okay, next week we're going to talk about relationship with God, and then the last week is all Q&A, okay? It can be, you know, ask whatever question you want and, you know, try to stump me, or if I don't know, that's when I usually ask the audience what they think and, and you know, let them answer the questions to deflect it off of me, so it makes it easier that way. This is an important premise. Um, I have two cups in my I have two cups in my office. I should have brought them, and they're filled with this really yucky orange sand. And um, lots of times I'll use that when I'm working with couples because if one couple is saying I need to get my needs met, I got to get my needs met. It's like taking all the sand out of one cup till this other person feels empty. And then what happens when this person feels empty over here? What do they start doing? I need more sand, I need more stuff. And so they start taking and taking and taking. And what happens is they start to drain each other until there's, there's just nothing left and those relationships just blow up. Instead, if you are entering into a romantic relationship and the idea is I'm going to learn what this person needs, I'm going to study them so much that I can actually anticipate their needs in a healthy, non-codependent way, but I'm going to say, let me minister to you. Let me offer to you what you need. Now they're taking the sand and pouring it into the other person's cup. What happens to their cup if you keep doing that over and over and over again? It keeps filling up more and more and more. And if the other person says, man, I don't want to be outdone on that. I'm going to try to, I'm going to, try to you know, make sure I meet your needs. So they're, they're anticipating my needs and they're filling up my cup. Now, instead of both cups being emptied, both cups, emotional cups, are getting more and more full, more and more full. And those are the people that, they, that that emotional fullness bubbles over into their life until they just start filling up other people's cups in the world as well, right? That, that is what it's designed for. That's what it looks like. And if we could figure out how to you know, bottle that or put that in a book, I would retire and you know not be here. I'm going to... Hold on, Chris, I'm going to just keep going, all right? Practical stuff, if I can. Um, shift gears real quick here. couple essential ingredients in healthy, appropriate romantic relationships. Um, time is, has a direct proportion um, or interaction with intimacy. Time is probably one of the best boundaries one of the best things to help keep you safe. Here's how. If this is time going on here, okay, and let's go one month, three months, six, and let's say 12 months out. This is, this is kind of, we'll just pick some random relationship that you are in. As you move on, the goal is for the intimacy level to become deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Would that be fair to say? This isn't rocket science. Hopefully it's just pretty straightforward. What happens, though, when you change that curve and you do that, okay? One month in, four weeks, here we are with, this, with these people, and we have gone way deep, way fast. Here's what tends to happen. Time, anyone, anyone can fake it for a while, okay? A month 
three months, six months, but it's much harder as time goes on. It's hard to maintain a, well, you know, you just stop caring. It's dating after six months looks very different than dating after, you know, six days. Would that be fair to say? You're more comfortable with the person, you're just, you're relaxed, you don't dress as nice, you have odors emanating out of you. I don't know what happens, but it, just, it looks different, okay? And so as time goes on, the purpose of, of entering into romantic relationships and giving it some time is to see, are there any deal breakers along the way? Because what happens is, is, all right, man, at three months, guess what? I found out that there's something that is a deal breaker. I don't know what it is, but just it is not good. And so you have now, that's the amount of, of pain that it's going to cost you, right? And that's, that's an appropriate thing. You find out six months in, it's going to hurt. It's just, it's going to hurt more because you've invested more. You've got more of your, your soul and your, and your vulnerability and all those things into it and, it. and it's supposed to hurt. And then, you know, let's pick some random time when you decide, let's say, make, make it permanent. Let's get married or engaged or whatever it is. And again, I don't care what the numbers are. But you say, you know what? I've got enough information and I'm going to still sign up for this gig, and I'm going to go on for the rest of my life together, and let's make this kind of a permanent thing. And so at that point, I mean, that's a lot to lose. That hurts if you lose a relationship like that. That is understandable how much that hurts. For the people, though, that say, I've got to jump in, and I've got to back the emotional truck up, and I've got to give you everything about me. And that can be emotionally, physically, all of that. And you jump in so quick... As it goes on, and it's like, oh man, let's say at two months I find out something about this person that is a deal breaker, you are already paying that huge price that you would have been paying way over here. Does that make sense? Instead of paying that amount, you're paying that much in emotional pain and suffering and scars and all of that. Time, time is a wonderful protector for boundaries and intimacy. It is okay to go slow. It's encouraged to go slow. That's what I want my kids to do. Don't jump into something. Okay? Make sure. Make sure, make sure, make sure. So many people, so many people think, if I don't give everything as soon as possible, I'm going to lose this person, I'm going to lose this relationship, and then where will I be? I, I'll just be alone. I won't have anything. I'll just kind of be stuck. And so learning how to Learning how to moderate this and be disciplined is going to save you tons and tons and tons of heartache. Questions? Don't you also need time to process? Because, I mean, as a person, you know, when I get new ideas, new things, it takes a long time to really get to understand uh, what you're sharing with someone, sure. what someone's sharing with you. So I would think that if you've done it all in person in one month, Yep. They're never going to have time to really process through it. They're just nope. going to be forced to make a, a, yeah. a snap decision as opposed to if they have time, then both of you can process. This is for both of you, for sure. Real loud. But I think sometimes people sometimes see something that they don't like and they consider it a deal breaker, but yet they might not talk to that other person about it, and it might be something that could be worked out. Like, I would never get married because, you know, people say... Right. So the deal breaker is. You know, those kind of things. Yeah. 
She's saying that sometimes there is um, deal breakers that you see, but, but you don't bring them up. It, right. How do you really know it's a deal breaker? You're just assuming it's a deal breaker. Whose responsibility is that if you don't discuss the deal breakers that you see? Yep, back to that piece again. That's important. That's important. Next thing is romantic relationships have to be equitable. And here's kind of what you were saying, Chris. Um, another quote. This is the phrase that Keller uses. I'll read it, but this is, the, this is the phrase that I want you to hear. For a love relationship to be healthy, there must be a mutual loss of independence. It can't be just one way. Both sides must say to the other, I'll adjust to you, I will change for you, I'll serve you even though it means a sacrifice for me. If only one party does all the sacrificing and giving and the other does all the ordering and taking, the relationship will be exploitive and oppressive and distort the lives of both people. It has to be equitable. It has to be equitable. And this is probably one of the bigger red flags for, for individuals who are, who are aching to be in relationship. It's like, I can take this. I'll just go ahead and take this bad behavior, this controlling stuff, whatever it is, because I just don't want to lose the relationship. And that is, that is mutual is the word, okay? Everyone say it with me. Mutual, okay? Equitable. That's what you want. If it isn't that, red flag, red flag, red flag. Really important. Really, really important. All right. What's next? Yeah. Okay. How do you know that? You go online and find some sort of test that tells you if it's equitable or not. <laughs> Google. I mean, it'll. No. Um, again, there is um, certain things that you are going to be wanting to be look looking for: um, shared emotional investment, shared personal investment, shared experiential investment. So, if one person if one person's, you know, man, this is, this is really, really, really important to me. I want to hang on to this relationship. And the other person's going, I think we should probably, you know, continue to date other people. I'm thinking that that's not an equitable emotional investment. Would that be fair to say? It's an experiential thing that you have to be able to kind of, um, I'm not sure there's a black and white answer that says literally take this test and you'll know if it's equitable or not. Um, power is going to be a big thing, and we're going to talk about this more a little bit later tonight. But if, if one of the people in the relationship has a difficult time honoring the requests or the opinions of the other person, I would say that that is an inequitable relationship. There's a power differential there. Does that make sense? And you have to be real careful of that as well. Your opinions, your, your um, perspective on things have to be balanced and, and shared in some of that. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this, and you'll be able to kind of recognize it, hopefully. And if not, ask the question again, okay? Um, we-ness, okay? 
weeness. If you say it fast, it's a funny word. Um, you can't be thinking like a single person anymore. Your life is no longer your own. Again, that idea of the mutual loss of independence. A lot of the couples that I work with have a difficult time, um, especially if they're younger or newer to the marriage. They're still approaching it from the, um, I need to get my needs met and the other person isn't giving enough. Or, and it, oftentimes that's kind of both ways. Well, I'm giving all this and the other person's not giving this. They're thinking as independent individuals, still trying to get their needs met, again, filling up those cups, rather than saying, we are in this together. We now recognize that our hearts, we are connected and we are, we have one purpose and one shared life together. You don't have to be married for that, but that doesn't happen early in the relationship as well. That happens further down, that's deeper down on this intimacy kind of level down there. You find yourself starting to say, wow, the decisions that I'm making right now, I actually am thinking what the other person is going, how that's going to impact the other person, how that plays out in their world, and if that will work for them or not. And when you start moving into that place, you are, and, and you do that mutually, again, equitably, then you have a, a we-ness to the relationship, and that is a good, healthy thing in, in the relationship when you no longer think of yourself individually. Okay? Um, one of my favorite... Make sure that this is loud enough here. This is, hands down, my favorite movie. It still is my favorite movie. Tangled. What? No, but it's another cartoon. I'm sorry. Profound movie, profound movie. What movie is that? The Incredibles. The Incredibles. Superb, superb movie on many, many levels. Their we-ness is a little askew at that moment. He has one thing that he needs to accomplish for his, his, his purposes. Um, honey, his wife, who we never see, has a whole different purpose in her world right now. No, uh my evening's in danger. <laughs> <sighs> The two S's, little pop quiz. Gentlemen, gentlemen, pop quiz. What is the primary need of women and ladies? What is the primary need of men? Both words start with the letter S, but they're different words. Okay, think about it for a second, and then we'll see how close we can get. Ladies, what is the primary need of men? 
for some reason, that's always the go-to word. It's a little odd. It's not sex, but sex plays into it, okay? Um, ladies, we're going to, and we'll go to the easy one first. Gentlemen, what is the primary need of women? Security. Man, see? Safety or security. That's right. Generally, stereotypically, I think it's pretty safe, and I can make lots of arguments, but we're going to say that women primarily in relationships are looking for safety or security in, in that relationship. For men, what do men primarily need? Support. Significance. Significance. Bingo, Bob. There it is. Men want to know that what they are doing is, is going to be important, that they are making a difference, that they are special. Huh. This is my, and, and this starts way, way early. My youngest son runs into the bedroom when he's about three years old in his underwear and a blanket tied around his neck. He jumps up on my bed and does one of these poses and says, Dad, aren't I awesome? <laughs> Son, you are the best. And he jumps off the bed and cape flying in the wind and he's running around the house because he needs to know that he is significant. <sighs> Ladies, don't listen for a minute, okay? Men, I'm not so sure that we ever outgrow that. We want to know that we make a difference. One of the ways to cut a man off at the knees is to tell him, you're worthless. You are redundant. You really don't matter. You, you aren't making any difference. One of the ways you can hurt a man the most, well, men find significance in two primary areas. What are they? We said one of them already. Sex, okay. Their, their sexual prowess, again, the ability to, the ability to please a woman. And? Success, how? Work, occupation. Again, for a man, if he has to go to a job that he just hates and despises, it's like death. It's just unbelievably grueling and hard and difficult. And so 99% of all relationships, I'm not quite to the 100% mark, but I'm pretty close to it, 99% of all conflict in romantic relationships are going to balance around these two areas right here. A man is wanting to do something that makes him feel significant, but might compromise the safety or security of, of the woman. Or the woman is needing some sort of security, and that compromises the man's significance. Man comes home from work. Man, guess what? Got a job promotion. I'm going to move up in the company. It means that we got to move to Duluth. Okay, but we're going next week. Wife, who um, this is the third move in about 10 years, has just finally got settled in, has some friends, all those things. What does that compromise? Her security, her connection, all those things. And so guess what happens in that house that night? <laughs> we have some good conflict because these two things are now bumping up against each other. This is where, this is where so much of conflict arises. Um, test it out. Test it out in your relationships, okay? See? Test it out this way, guys. Give me a break, okay? The next time you are in conflict, see if you can figure out, is it a safety issue or is it a significance issue? Because if you can and you start to find out what the root of the disagreement is, you get to the solution much, much faster. And if you understand as men... 
I don't want to do things that freaks my wife out. I don't want to do things that, that scares the women folk. I got to be careful of them and, and treat, them, treat them carefully. <laughs> and my wife, when she understands, I need to feel important. I need to feel um, uh, special in some way. Then she's going to be very careful, you know, how she talks about me in public or what she asks me to do or if she does anything that embarrasses me, things like that. She's going to guard that within me as well. Yes? Yeah, it's a great question. I would, um, I would suggest that that is beyond. Um, yes, both are looking for safety. Okay, I think that is a a gender thing, not necessarily a relationship thing. Does that make sense? Okay. Yep. Well, I have a question in the that I was thinking about. Um, when you talk about these gender roles, the idea of significance for guys and safety for women, yep. is that something that you would say is necessarily genetic or culturally based? It's a great question. Um, it's a great question that I'm going to totally dodge. Okay. <laughs> Simply because it's, it's not going to take us to where we need to get to tonight. Um, I'll be glad to talk to you about it later, but um, I think there's an answer to it. Um, and here's the 30-second here's the answer. Um, I think it's beyond culture. I think if you go back to Genesis again, um, man and the work that he has to do and the woman and part of her curse, I think that is built into our, our personness. <laughs> Our weeness. <laughs> um, one last thing here, and then we're going to jump into a um, couple other things real fast here. Um, again, ladies, you don't have to listen to this. This is probably for the men real quickly. Um, I believe that... Overall, and I recognize that this can actually be up for some debate, and, I'm, and I am intentionally coming down on one side of the argument over the other. I'm trying not to dance around it too much. I am actually trying to just come on one side. And again, I'll be more than happy to have some conversation with those that would like to or need to. But I believe that men set the tone in a relationship. Our attitudes our personal growth, our personal strength make the tone in the relationship healthy or not. I think if we go back to Scripture, this is what Scripture talks about when men are called to be leaders in their family. And I think there's very specific roles that, that Scripture talks out, talks out there. We can use the word that, again, usually gets some people's neck hair moving around, submission, okay? Okay, I'm looking at it from men set the tone. When I'm having a bad day, I can, I can throw the atmosphere in my home. I can throw that off in a blink of an eye. If I'm strong, if I'm doing well, then my family tends to reap the benefits from that as well. 
this, this is a thing that most men just don't get, don't understand. This is why it's important for men to have a spiritual maturity about them. And again, my definition of spiritual maturity is they are aware of how they do things, not just what they do. Their tone, their attitude, the energy, energy they put into the room, their, the atmosphere that they create. When a man is saying, your experience, your heart, you are important, and I'm going to make sure that I don't say things harshly, I'm not going to say things demeaning, I'm not going to say things dismissively. Um, when you can, when you're aware of that, I would suggest that you are, you have a spiritual maturity that benefits the rest of the family and you get to lead your family in that. Okay. Now, again, I would be, if we had time, maybe on the last, on the last night, if you got questions about this or you want to kind of wrestle with this, I would be more than happy to do some of that because this is, this is some, this is some stuff that could potentially raise some conflict or some questions in your mind, and I'm totally okay with that. Because I think we got to wrestle with this. I think we got to have relationships work better and be, be different because I think they're just painful in some of the ways they are right now. All right. Oh, the number one thing. This is what I tell my daughter again. The number one thing that I want her to look for in a romantic partner, the number one thing is a desire to grow. I want her to find someone who recognizes they are not perfect and they want to keep getting better. That requires self-awareness, humility, self-confidence, selflessness. A person who says, I want to change, I want to get better, that is the person that I want my daughter to be connected with. That's the person I want my sons to be connected with. Are you that person? Are you that person? All right. Real fast, we're going to crank through this in the last few minutes, and then we'll let you guys get out of here to the cool air outside. Warning signs. This is warning signs of um, bad romantic relationships. Uh, promises that they do not keep, either emotional promises or physical promises. Again, this goes back to the um, 10 rules of relationships. Base your, base your decisions upon what they do rather than what they say. If, you have, if you're in a relationship romantically with someone who keeps not following through with their word emotionally or physically, um, here's what I mean by physical. Uh, I've done work with people who who are, who are considering having an affair because the person that they are now emotionally connecting with and interacting with makes them feel different than they do with their spouse at home. Does that, is that person that they're considering having an affair with making promises to them that they just can't keep? I would argue yes. You, you should not be making promises. You shouldn't be trying to do any of that stuff with someone who's not yours and who is not appropriate to do that with. So if there is someone, and again, it doesn't have to be married. It can be, you know, just in a, in a dating relationship. If you got someone and their heart is supposed to be with someone else, but they are treating you in, in ways that lead you on, 
They're making promises that they just can't follow through on. I have a clip, unfortunately, it's too long to show you right now. It's from the movie The Holiday. Anyone seen that? Cameron Diaz and a couple other people in there. Uh, one of the main characters in there has been in love with this guy and you know, is still in love with him while he is getting engaged to another woman. So she flies off, she's in Britain, she flies off to Hollywood to, to you know, swap houses and just kind of relax and get away and fall out of love with this guy. And he shows up knocking on her door, you know, and he's saying, I still want to be together. I still want to have this relationship. And she almost gets sucked back into it until the very end. She says, you, are you still getting married? And he goes, well, yeah. <laughs> and she finally wakes up and says, what in the world am I doing? And is able to now make this break and say, you are making promises that you just can't keep to me. Get out. It's a wonderful, wonderful clip. It's just too long. All right. Controlling power struggles again. If someone is, is trying to determine all of the actions, making all the decisions, not honoring your opinions, not listening to what you have to say, uh, belittling your ideas, anything else like that, red flag, red flag, danger, Will Robbins. Okay? You just want to be careful of that. Um, avoidance. Yeah, I'm going to risk this. This one tends to be not 100%, not even, yeah. I would say we're about a 60-40 split. Um, men, men tend to avoid things a little bit more than women, okay? That's because of the respect thing. We don't want to say things that might, that might hurt someone and be disrespectful. It's kind of how we're wired in. So men tend to avoid things. We emotionally just um, aren't available. Uh, we avoid conflict, all those kinds of things. And again, not across the board, but again, I think this tends to be a little bit more weighted on the male side than the, than the women's side. Um, romance, romantic relationships is inherently vulnerable. I'm going to say that again. Romantic relationships are designed to be inherently vulnerable. And if you have a person who is avoiding vulnerability, that tends to get in the way of a healthy romantic relationship. Does that make sense? Don't do that. Reactivity versus proactivity. If you are in a relationship with someone and they are constantly reacting to their world instead of choosing their world, making their world where they want it to be. They're in survival mode rather than proactive mode. Then they tend to kind of walk around with their hair on fire. And, and it becomes incredibly exhausting and you can't really get forward in the relationship at all. You want to have someone who is proactive who says, this is where I want to be. This is who I am. This is where I am now. This is where I want to be and this is the steps that I need to get there and take. And hopefully... The best relationships, you're saying, yes, I actually want to get there with you as well, and we can be proactive and continue to grow and change. That's why I go back to the number one thing that I think you should look for in romantic relationships is the capacity to grow, is the desire to grow. And they are proactive rather than reactive. Um, controlling. Didn't I say that already? Yes. Apparently it's pretty important. <laughs> 
John Gottman, um, he's the granddaddy of, of relationships. Um, he does uh, really crazy studies. He can actually sit down with a couple and if within, I think he's down to just a couple minutes, give you a statistically high probability if that person, if that couple will be divorced or not. Okay, he has, he's, all of his stuff, he's been doing it since the 70s. Um, it's just really good. And he has things called the Four Horsemen. If this, are, this is kind of the progress when your relationship is um, moving towards um, some really rough waters. First one is criticism. That is attacking your partner's personality or character, usually with the intent of making someone right and someone wrong. That criticism, not basically of what... Of what they are doing primarily, but again, their character. Then you move into contempt. That's when you attack your partner's sense of self with the intention to insult or psychologically abuse them. You actually want to draw blood, not physically, but emotionally. You want to make them lower or less than you. When you have contempt for your partner, when you um, we talked about a couple weeks ago, when you don't give them the benefit of the doubt anymore, when you see them as inherently flawed, that's where this contempt issue can become very, very um, toxic. Defensiveness, that is seeing yourself as the victim and as a way of kind of warding off any perceived attack. It is, it is the... Um, the, the opposite of that is openness. When I'm working with couples, I try to, as much as possible, get them into the room and have them just try to truly be open to what the other person is saying, thinking, moving through. They can't move into that openness, and they're both kind of entrenched in this defensiveness. Heels are dug in. Then they can't actually hear anything about the, about the relationship and how to move through some of that. So watching for that defensiveness. And then finally, stonewalling. Stonewalling is where you are basically just withdrawing from the relationship as a way to avoid the conflict. Um, sometimes you may think that you're trying to be neutral, but stonewalling conveys disapproval, icy distance, separation, disconnection, and or smugness. This is the um, stereotypical couple who's been married for, you know, 20 years. The wife has spent most of her time trying to get the emotionally avoidant husband to engage and she now is throwing criticism and contempt towards him and his answer is yes dear whatever you say go ahead you're just going to keep saying it and I can't change your mind fine whatever go ahead bring it on and he just kind of puts up this huge emotional wall when that hits again according to Gottman that is kind of the death throes of the relationship. Now, some people still choose to stay in the relationship for a whole bunch of reasons, but it's not a relationship. It's not a finitas. It's not what it's designed to be. It's not intimacy and vulnerability and connection and that spiritual aspect that relationships are supposed to be. Okay? Stonewalling. So, Paul, if they're still trying to kill each other, does that mean there's still hope? If they're still trying to kill each other, is there still hope? Um... <laughs> I would argue not necessarily. It'd be nice, but no, I'm, I'm not sure. <sighs> Questions about any of the red flags, any of the caution areas here? 
Ladies and gentlemen, uh, our hearts can be softened. It is possible. It is possible for couples to be smack dab right in the middle of this and somehow their hearts get changed and they recognize they recognize that their world isn't working and they take responsibility for themselves. We can be transformed. We can be redeemed if we choose to humble ourselves. When we choose to be laid bare, not in front of another human being first, but in front of your creator first. When you kind of just get unbelievably down and dirty and ugly and vulnerable and you stop trying to make yourself better and you stop lying to yourself and you say, I have not been honest with myself or anyone else and I can no longer, no longer maintain this lie, this posture. The person who can't do that counselor, a spouse, a pastor, a best friend isn't going to get through to them. That's why that's why I intentionally try to see if I can move you guys into that place at the beginning of every time. Hands up, openness. Be receptive to some of this stuff. When you can do that in front of your your partner and say I truly don't want to have the walls up, and I truly want to understand you. Even if it's messy and hard, when you're not in this place, things can be, and you're both in that place. That's when things change. So, I know for a fact, I know for a fact that there are some who have been all the way through this process, have been through their relationship or multiple relationships and they're going, I can't, I just can't do this anymore. Something's got to change. I know for a fact that there are some in this room who are in the middle of all of this. And I know that there are some in the room who have done their work and have very good relationships. Okay? Again, we are, we're all across the spectrum. My hope would be, and again, I said it at the beginning, I don't want you to walk away hearing my voice tonight. What I want you to hear is, what does your creator want to say to you? Because if he is saying, you are in, you know, right now you have contempt for your partner. If that's what you're hearing right now, please humble yourself and say, you're right, I admit it, and I need to change. I can work with that all day long. Your partner can work with that all day long. It's risky. It's scary. It's terrifying. But we are redeemable. We are redeemable. And I don't want you to miss that.
Yes. 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 I take the garbage out and then they go to bed and forget to. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Even if it's constant, Correct. It could just be their brain. It could just be they're not very organized. It could just be because, you know, they're scattered and they just don't do something like that. It is more of the emotional promises, it's the relational promises. Okay? Um, again, back to that, the holiday clip I talked about where this guy is saying, I want to be in a relationship with you, even though I'm marrying this other woman over here. I want my cake and eat it too. That's just crap, okay? And you just, that's, that's nasty. Don't do that. Any other questions, then I'll let us go. Yes? Yes. When do you quit? Short answer to that, and then... Um, we should probably talk about this on the eighth week, okay? Um, there's only one recipe for couples becoming healthy. Uh, and I see it, again, several times in my office. You'll have two people come in, and one person wants to work on the relationship, and one person just doesn't. I can't make that relationship work. Nobody can make that relationship work, okay? Option number two, both people come into the, into the room, First person doesn't want to work on the relationship. Other person doesn't want to work on the relationship. I can't do anything with that either. Okay? It's when both people, even if they're in different places, are saying, I'm willing to humble myself, and I am willing to look at my own stuff, take responsibility for my pieces of this, instead of always pointing out the, the wrongness of the other person, when they take responsibility for, for their stuff, and the other person does, I'm willing to do that too, we can work with that all day long. You don't have to have a counselor to do that. You can do that within a couple as long as you both have the skill sets and the maturity to be able to move through that. So both people have to be invested into that. Now, I would suggest one thing. If you are in that place and you are the person who is wanting to improve the relationship and the other person isn't, but they're not getting out of it either, they're kind of just kind of coasting on that, Instead of spending your energy trying to change them and change their attitude, this is where I think, again, Scripture talks about if we love them unconditionally, even though we are not going to get anything back from them, I still treat them the way that they deserve to be treated because they're human beings with value, then oftentimes our love wins them over. Our unconditionalness wins them back. It's inescapable for them. Not all the time, it's not a guarantee. Their hearts can still be hardened, but um, I've heard it many, many times where one spouse says, I know I'm not going to get anything back from this person, but I'm going to act within my own integrity. Back to the 10 rules that we had about the beginning. I'm going to act within my own integrity and I'm going to treat you the way you deserve to be treated and get nothing back. And that, that is transformative for people. It's now just a little bit after 9. I want to honor your time. I'll let you go. If you want to have more questions, um, you're welcome to come chat with me or save them, write them down. Okay. Let me pray. We'll let you guys go. <clears throat> Father, you are...
you are all-knowing and all-seeing, and you know the hearts and the status of every person in this room. I pray that you will provide comfort, that you will provide the courage and the confidence for people if they need to humble themselves before you, that you will reward that and, and make that a redemptive process. May you continue to change the lives in this, in this room in ways that I'll, I'll never know about. Will you speak into them in practical and real ways this week? Thank you for our time together. Thank you for the questions and the struggles and the, and the desire to grow and change. And in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like more information, please visit paulelmore.com.